Welcome back to the Breakside Podcast, here for episode 37. This is your ultimate destination for in-depth, collegiate and professional Frisbee discussions and interviews. I'm your host, David Adamitis. This episode's guest is the UFA's all-time assist leader with 463 thrown. After spending five seasons with the Chicago Union, he now currently plays for the Los Angeles Aviators. Introducing Pavel Giannis. Pavel, how are you doing? Thanks for being here. I'm good. How are you? Doing really well. It's it's quite the treat and honor to have you. You're big in the frizzy world, and it's really cool to have you here. And also, you're the first player we've had from the Aviators on. So a lot of really cool different areas we'll cover tonight. So just yeah, thanks. So thanks so much for being here. For sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's my pleasure to go on every single frisbee podcast that is out there so it's uh you know another notch in the belt as they say i like i think uh we have similar goals i'm trying to get a player from every team in that ufa on the podcast so i guess you're trying to get on every frisbee podcast that you can so we'll have to, we'll have to see who can, who can get further with this goals here but obviously you've had a very successful career you've played for several years for the union now your first season here with the aviators and you've been very successful in just the assist realm with being with Ralph downfield really well and having teammates who can reel those in. But before we dive into all that, I would love for you to just take me back and how did you get into Frisbee in the beginning? Uh, this is a great story. Uh, so in the summer of 06, 2006, uh, maybe before some of your listeners were even born, um, I had the pleasure of playing laser tag uh, with my friend. Um, and we really pissed off my friend's mother, like really pissed her off because we we're running around in her house um, and we we're just destroying furniture and just doing all, you know, whatever middle school kids do. Um, so she told us, you know, you can't play laser tag indoors in my house, uh, but you can come out to summer league with me um, and play laser tag outdoors. And we're like, sure, Frisbee. We don't know what that is, but as long as we get to play laser tag, um, let's let's do it. Um, and little did we know that there are no trees, no obstacles, nowhere to hide, and laser tag isn't really fun uh, if you don't have those links. Uh, so instead of playing laser tag at Summer League, we decided to play Frisbee, um, and that was in summer of 2006, uh, so what, 18 years ago. Um, so yeah, played Summer League. I, I'm a big fan of leagues. Uh, that's where most of the players play anyway. Um, that's where all the, all the greatness comes, uh, and I started in a B League. Wow, that's that's a great starting story just because your your friend's mom brought you guys out and exposed you to the sport. I think it's really cool. It shows the power of, well, in this case, not necessarily invite, but the power of invite in sports of just introducing somebody to something you never know where it can lead you to. And from there, your first introduction, you went on to play in college and had a very successful college. You won D1 college championship in 2014. So very successful time there the top of the frisbee world in college tell me about those those college years uh the prime of my life you know the best <laughs> I, I say that half jokingly and half not i mean i mean college was awesome i mean at no other point in your life will you live uh and sleep and eat with the same group of people and kind of work towards the same goal like that does that just does not happen after you graduate college um so just having the opportunity to do that for five years was just you know if i could I, I, you know, in fact, I would trade all my assists to have, you know, one more month, uh, the month of May specifically, uh, to go back to college. You know, that month right before nationals is probably the best month of, of by far the best month of my life. Uh, you know, five of those years. Um, yeah, no, but but I mean, my original kind of dream was making, um, you know, the University of Colorado's frisbee team, Mama Bird. That was like my original dream, and I think my only dream. 
to you know at that time so it's really fun to actually be on the team as a freshman um, and then eventually getting a chance to captain it and then winning the championship in 2014 uh, so all that all that was you know uh, you know you know a dream come true I think I mean you hit the nail on the head with those talking about those college years it's so special as you were doing life with this group of guys you're going to class you're getting meals together you're hanging out and I feel like you truly know so much about your teammates and it makes that time so special exactly what you were saying and you know that that month of May preparing for college nationals that's just such an electric time looking back to those to those years when you did go to those college you know championship tournaments have there been times in your current career you look back and say I've like looking back at those experiences, I've learned these lessons that I've been able to help in my current, where I currently am in the Frisbee world. Yes. I mean, of course, uh, lessons. Um, so I think I was in a very unique situation uh, where I was surrounded by all these really good players. I, I mean, it sounds really stupid to say, but I mean, I was playing with some world-class talent, uh, you know, alongside them. And it was really easy for me to get frustrated at mistakes. You know, like if I had a turnover and, and I, I know I had I touched this quite a bit in college, just as I do now, you know, that it, it's it really hit me um, that I'm really screwing up this opportunity for all these really good players to like win nationals. And like that pressure of feeling to always have to be perfect in order for this group of guys who seem so deserving, um, uh, you know, always having to be to perform for those people. Uh, you know, that was like an, an immense amount of pressure. I think that's the most amount of pressure I've ever felt. So I think coming out of that college experience, you know, after that, everything seems kind of easy, like trivial uh, in a sense, because there isn't this amount of pressure of, of, OK, this is like the team that can win nationals and we have to win nationals. And if you're if you're a guy who's going to throw a turnover in this game, you know, you better not do it. <laughs> so. So, yeah, just learning that, you know, to value the disc and to uh, to, uh, you know, uh, kind of play within your role and, and to do your job. I think those are all things that were, you know, taught in one way or another. Such a common trend or statement, I think, I remember hearing in my own college days was, let's win it for the seniors. And that's kind of describes what you're talking about. You feel this pressure. You don't want to screw it up, so to say, for for the older guys in the team. How do you handle that kind of pressure, you know, at college or just beyond in, in typical games? How do you handle this high-stakes pressure? Oh, I don't know. I've, if someone could tell me how to handle pressure, I would love to hear it from them. I mean, I, I think everyone has a different way of processing that kind of stuff. I mean – the more you play, uh, the more you realize that no individual outcome of any game matters per se. You know, like if you lose this game, yes, your season is over and you're going to it's going to suck for a little while. But like you will get back on it like you're going to there's going to be another season. You'll compete again like you're not you're not dying and you're at dead. You know, there are worse things in life. Um, so I think time heals a lot of that. And like the more you realize that that this is just a game that we're playing um, and that, you know, you are put in this position because people believe in you, um, you kind of develop this self-confidence um, and this arrogance, to be honest, like you develop this arrogance of like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm, I don't like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And if, if I fail, that's, uh, that's fine because people trust that I trust me that, 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 that I'll make the right decisions. And if I don't, that's that, you know, they signed up for that in one way or another. Um, so no, so, so I mean, I, I think, uh, and that process changes throughout, not only just through college, but also your early club career, your middle club, club career, and now your late club career, like the, your mentality about that changes so much. Um, uh, I mean, I can go into that, but, but I mean, especially going from college to, to, like, to, to someone who's, you know, just starting out club, uh, you know, that college time really, um, for me at least was very much focused on not screwing it up for, for other people. Um, 
And then whereas club was, was, you know, once they transitioned over to club, it was much more focused about, you know, developing and understanding that the club game is much different than the college game. Um, and there are different kind of, you know, um, you know, ways that we play Frisbee at, a, at an elite level. Yeah, I think what you're talking about so much there is like teamhood and camaraderie and just being a good teammate is there's that pressure. But at the end of the day, if you do mess up or make a bad throw is no one died and the world didn't end and a good teammate will support you in you know the highs and the lows. So I think it's all about is you surround yourself with good people. You're talking about here is this you know transition from college to club and then eventually you know you're playing for the Chicago Union and other scenes. But share with me the next step in your frisbee story after you graduated college. You went to club and beyond. What was that next period in your frisbee story like? It was uh, very different uh, because I so it was great. So it was 2016. Um, I graduated college three weeks before then, um, and the Tuesday after nationals or the Wednesday after 2016 nationals, I like packed up, packed up my minivan and I moved to Chicago uh, because I was going to start grad school um, at Northwestern that August. Um, so I actually moved to the south side of Chicago, uh, which if you know anything about um, Chicago, that's that's the neighborhood that is not uh, desirable to live in. You know, that, that's where the high crime rates are for the most part. I mean, not obviously I don't want to make a monolith statement here about all of Chicago or all of south, south of Chicago. But um, but you don't you don't really want to go to south side of Chicago um, if you don't have to. You, you know, you'd rather go to the north side. Um, so I moved there because that's where our fields were located. That's where the Chicago Machine uh, field practice fields were, and that's where we practice in Washington Park. Uh, so I just moved there, uh, you know, you know, being really uh, ignorant and naive about, you know, of course everyone lives here because this is where we practice. And in fact, I was just the only person who lived by our practice facilities, our practice fields, and uh, kind of had to do stuff by myself for the most part. Besides a couple of U Chicago uh, students that would do stuff with me as well. Um, so that was like a huge transition, you know, going from a whole team environment, everyone, you know, everyone in Boulder kind of lived in the same area. You know, if you wanted to toss with someone, you would just like, you know, hit up the group me and someone would throw you in five minutes to all of a sudden you're in this uh, environment, you're out of this Boulder bubble, you're in the real world um, and you're kind of isolated. Uh, so I really had to kind of learn more, you know, individual skills. Uh, let's just put it that way, you know, a couple more, be a little more independent. Um, than I than I was used to, um, especially uh, when it comes to you know frisbee. Definitely, and that transition, it, I'm sure it's difficult. And, you know, I just graduated back in May in college, and kind of transitioning from a college team setting, it's very different to go out and play in a club team. Maybe you're only spending so many hours together as a team or in your league where you just show up and play for a couple hours each week, you don't know that team as well as I found you did in college when you're doing life with those guys. And that can be a pretty challenging transition, I think, in especially going out to a team, I think, with different play styles and everyone has their own ideas. How do you come from, you know, you're a champion here, you know, you won in 2014, you come onto a new team and you're the new guy. How do you embrace yourself into a new environment? <laughs> Uh, I, I'm laughing because I had a really bad, I made a really bad first impression on uh, on the Chicago Machine Squad. Um, I sent this really bad group me message that was meant for a different group me. Um, and back then you couldn't delete group me messages. Uh, so there's like a really funny and inappropriate story about that that I'm not going to share. But uh, but in terms of the, the logistics and, and the kind of the mental side of switching uh, that you asked about, um, I mean, it's, 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 you have to kind of 
find the other weird people around you uh, at first. Like, you have to kind of figure out who are your three or four guys that kind of look like you or kind of have had a similar experience or who are just willing to hang out with you and then kind of grow up from there. You know, because it's not true that in, call, in Club Ultimate, everyone has the same motive. I mean, I, I mean, in very, very good teams, like on Machine, um, everyone has a motive of winning nationals, and that's great. But I, I, what I've come to realize as I've you know, talked to other people and kind of experienced different communities, it's that you know, some people just want to be out there to, to you know, go to regionals or win nationals and win a couple games and are willing to dedicate five to ten hours of their life. And then there are other individuals that will you know, spend 40 hours a week uh, with their whole life kind of surrounded or rather dictated by the Frisbee schedule. And I kind of, you know, uh, you know, and I, I align more closely with, with the latter. Um, so guys like Walden Nelson and Kevin Kelly um, in Chicago, I kind of you know, gravitated towards because their life at that time was all about, you know, being the best Frisbee team uh, possible, which again, for a 23, 24 year old coming from college seems like not such an absurd idea, but for a 30 year old is it's completely absurd. Like there, if you ask the cross section of a 30 year olds in that play, that play frisbee in the U.S. or, or worldwide, like that, you know, the stated purpose of, of dedicating your life or dedicating your, your your time that you're not sleeping or working because you have to like pay rent um, to frisbee, that's it. that's like five percent of the population will say yes, that's my number one goal. And if you can find you know people that match up with with the level of commitment that you want to uh, invest in, in the sport, then I think that's that, that's the sweet that's the sweet spot, and that's what you have to aim for. Yeah, it's a completely different dynamic than where you just were, you know, a couple of years before we were talking about now. And another element that you you eventually tackled was joining the Chicago Union. So would you just share with me how did you get involved with the Union team and what was your early experience like with them? Well, I wanted to play in 2016 when I came, uh, but by then they were so bad that they were already out of the playoff contention. And they said no, because we don't want you to be injured for machine and B, we're you know, just try out next year and and and, um, and play for us in 2017. Um, so that's what I did. So I guess the, I guess I guess I guess I guess I was cut. I guess that technically means that my first AUDL tryout or UFA tryout was was unsuccessful uh, because they, they I mean technically they said no. We get, you know, by that point, you know, again history of the UFA like in 2016 they were playing I think 14 games. Um, so and they were starting way early. So I think by June or July, when I got in contact with them, they were already eight weeks in or something like that. So they were already like two and six. They already knew, they already knew that they were going to make playoffs, or they didn't really. There was no benefit for me joining joining that team. Uh, so they said no, thank you. Uh, and then it, it was super funny because then in 2017 when I tried out, um, not only did I make the team, but the people wanted me to be captain. So I was a rookie captain, which which presented <laughs> that so many. Too much. I mean, and it was so bad. I would never, I mean, that was such a bad organizational choice. I mean, I love the Chicago Union, formerly Chicago Wildfire. It's a great organization. It's always been a really good organization, but that is that was such a bad decision to is to have a 20, uh, 23-year-old be a rookie first year, never played in the UFA, uh, never played at the pro game, and but also to be a captain and to make all these choices, roster decisions, um, game planning, all that stuff that you have no idea uh, how to do. Uh, so I was completely burnt out, I think, after 2017, um, completely unsatisfied because it also it was also a bad year. Um, so all in all, it was a very bad introduction, I think, to the pro game. But besides being cut <laughs> for your first your first try here um, and then a terrible first experience, you stuck with it and spent several years with Union. So, 
you know, must something must have turned around. What changed kind of going forward uh, with your union experience? I think I was one of the few people in Chicago that believed that playing in, in semi-pro could help you develop as a player so that you can contribute to the club game, which at that point was way more important in Chicago. Right. So so in the beginning, the overlap between Chicago Machine and Chicago Wildfire back then was, you know, six or seven players. It was me and like four other or five other guys that, that would also play on the machine, you know, in the fall. Um, but I think the reason why I stayed, despite all the the bad outcomes and, and, and the negativity and kind of the toxicity of some of the stuff that 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 those teams had um, was this belief that if we get all the young guys to play on the wildfire, they could develop their game so they could be useful for the club, for, for their clubs, right, for their club teams. Um, and that suddenly, that slowly trickled. I think in 2018, uh, we got Nate Goff to play on the, on the wildfire. And in 2019, and also in 2018, we had Kirk Gibson play. And, and once these like actual big names, these actually good players started playing with the semi-pro team, that's when more of the machine guys played. And then 2021, was when that was the apex of of I would say of the team where most of the machine guys were playing and then most of them continued in 2022 and then last year it completely collapsed. Uh, so when I left in, in 2020 2022 and then so in 2023 last year, um, most of the machine guys did not play on the union and you saw the results of that. They 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 lost in the first round of the playoffs. Did not have a really good season. Um, so yeah, it really all depends on on who's jumping on the bandwagon at any point. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a very, you know, people are fickle. Uh, not everyone has the same motives. Like I, I mentioned earlier, not everyone wants to, you know, people at a certain age are thinking about their bodies and they can't handle two different seasons within a year. Uh, so there's all, I mean, I can go on and on for hours about, about these choices that people are making, but really to answer your question, uh, the, the, you know, this, why did I stay? I stayed because I had a belief that this, this, this is like a good developmental thing for players such as myself. You talk about the difference between club and, and UFA, two different scenes, you know, different styles of play. And you talk about there is learning this understanding that like one will benefit the other. Well, they are different styles, um, you know, bigger field, for example. Um, so slightly different style of play, but it still will elevate your game. Yet there is this at times conflict between which season takes priority. Could you share with me your thoughts? You've played both club and you know semi-pro at the same time. So how do you find this balance between two? Or is it does it come down to a choice where you at times have to prioritize one over the other? Well, now I think uh, so. Now it's easier, right? Because now I, I can play the UFA with the Aviators and then for, and then be 100% locked in between now uh, and really between December and you know July. And then the season ends and then I can move to Chicago and be 100% locked in on machine, right? So I can kind of like, you know, there are two spheres for me that I can like literally just be physically in a space um, and be focused on that team and then move to a different physical place and be focused on that team. Um, but that is hard to do because I'm, I'm you know, for, for the most part, as, uh, as long as the leadership of machine doesn't, doesn't cut me, like I have that option of being an out of region player and going to Chicago and, and, you know, for the most part, they're okay with me not being at many team events in May, June, and July, you know, which I'm very thankful for because if, if they were like, you have to go to trials or you have to go to this practice weekend um, and skip all these UFA games like that, wouldn't uh, that's a hard conversation to have because I'm also committed to, to the aviators. Um, so I'm in a unique situation where I can kind of, you know, split these things apart, but a lot of players aren't. Right. So a lot of players do have to, you know, not only prioritize one team over the other because of their own injury history uh, or because the teams just say you, you have to prioritize us. Like the New York Empire 
tell their players for the most part, you have to prioritize our games. Um, and New York Pony sometimes doesn't like that. Uh, so there are cities where this where this conflict is, you know, actually a conflict. Um, and there's other cities uh, such as Raleigh, uh, where they're completely bought into the system. So everyone, so, so a lot of people play, 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 play both semi-pro and club. Um, so yes, yeah, so to answer your question, it, it really uh, depends where you are geographically um, and what your situation is, you know, on those teams. Yeah, it sounds like you're in a very fortunate spot here. I mean, you're living very far away from Chicago over in LA, but you're still able to do this both seasons and both your teams, you know, respect that and encourage you where you are. So that that's huge that you're in a place like that. And like we mentioned, you're living in L.A. now. So you've left Chicago after playing there for a number of years. And you're your first year in L.A. this past season. But sticking a little bit more in Chicago Machine, you know, you got to play with them. And they're a great group of guys. We had uh, one of your teammates, Andrew Shogren, on this podcast back in July. And love giving out shout outs. So big shout out to the shrew. But if you want to if you want to talk him up a little bit, what's it like playing with Andrew? Uh, he's good. He I think he wasted a lot of his life in Detroit. I mean, God, the mechanics. I can't like I love the mechanics. I love Detroit, but like he he had some really good years uh, on Detroit that he should have had in Chicago. You know, like he could have. I, I mean, I know that team was closer to him geographically, uh, but I can't tell you the amount of times that we tried to recruit him and a lot of players in the Midwest to come play with us, uh, especially in 21 and 22. Um, so I'm really bummed that I never got to play with him in the UFA. Like I, I never got to play with him because his first year. Um, was last year in 2023 uh, on the union um so so uh but on the club scene uh i play i've been playing machine with him uh, uh for a couple of seasons seasons now and it's it's wonderful uh he's he's very athletic and very fast and can catch almost anything yeah absolute stud of a guy he, he's super fun too it's great conversation on here so for everyone listening out there make sure you check out andrew's episode with us back in july but continuing on in your story you know, you spent several years in Chicago, and now you've made the move across the country out to L.A. Share with me a little bit what went into this move and how was your first season with the L.A. Aviators? So I moved because I graduated uh, with my Ph.D. Uh, in 2022, and I got a job at, uh, as a professor at Caltech and that, that's in Pasadena, right outside of L.A. Um, so it's a purely, you know, is a, a move just for, for job reasons. Um, so, I mean, I didn't apply for jobs anywhere where I didn't also think the Frisbee community would be bad uh, or wouldn't be up to the standard that I wanted to be. So, so, so and LA has been great so far in, in, that, in that regard. Um, but no, so, so, <laughs> uh, this has been, uh, it's been a, so LA is very different, um, or the aviators are very different than the, than the union, right? So the union, um, when I left the union were, um, you know, they already had their systems, they were very organized, they were. The captains were very invested. The coaching staff was very invested. Um, for the most part, they, they they knew what they were doing, um, and they still know what they're doing. I'm not trying to. Of course, they, they, I'm sure their current leadership is, is still very very good and very well organized. I would say the biggest difference was though in that regard when you go to when I went to Aviators, um, I was also voted on as being captain, as being a rookie on a team, uh, being a captain. Um, the the biggest thing that was lacking was sort of this organizational structure of like how do we you know, how do we, what, what are we about? What is our culture? What is, what are our systems? Um, why do people want to play of us? How do we run practices? How do we run tryouts? I mean, it sounds like a very basic thing, but you have to remember that people play semi-pro so that they don't have the responsibility of 
keeping track of all their teammates or keeping track of all the expenses or whatever that are, are doing all these logistical things that they have to do for their club teams. Right? People, when they sign up to play in the UFA, for the most part, just want to play. They don't, they, want to, they don't want to focus on anything else. They just want to go out there, play one game a week and have fun and, and, and compete against the best players in the UFA. They don't want to have that responsibility of, of actually organizing and you know managing you know the team. Um, so the first year was extremely tough, uh, not tough, but it was a lot of work uh, because all these systems um, and these you know, logistics of, of leadership um, had to be established for, uh, for the most part. So, so I was, you know, I played one role in that, you know, there was a, we had a big group of captains that were also as committed as I was. And of course, a leadership group that was as committed as I was, but putting all these pieces together and, and kind of coalescing all those, all those voices um, to a coherent strategy took a lot of work and you know it wasn't fun i mean i also said this when i when i left chicago most of most of the chicago experience was not fun but it was very you know uh, i found a lot of satisfaction with that experience i would say the first year in la was not fun but again a lot of satisfaction um came out of it you know being you know this was a meaningful year for all the things that we did accomplish uh, but you know at any given moment in june or july or may or even january uh, i would have said i'm not having fun I, this is not fun whatsoever uh, but I'm doing it so that you know in in August or in, or in September you can you can look back and say yes this was a satisfying experience. Yeah, it's such a big opportunity to have powerful influence or impact. I would think you're coming in from a place where you spent number of years in a certain system and you come to a team like you said doesn't have that established. So you as that you know veteran player from a team team, but you come in and you're kind of looked to is like, what do you think about X Y and Z? And you're trying to create something, you know, you talk about the culture or what is this organization all about? Do you have anything to share with, you know, players out there that are maybe going to a team that's kind of disorganized or trying to find out, find their identity or who that team is? What would you share from your time this past season? I mean, I think this is a good life lesson for anyone. I mean, I think anyone, if there's one thing you take away from anything I say, this this could be the, the smartest thing I've thought of, is, is anyone is capable of criticizing or of pointing out errors. Um, so again, let me go back, maybe take a step back here. So so there are like legitimately dumb people who don't see things that are wrong in the world, right? This is like the base level, like the dirt. Like So there's a dirt version of people that just like, they, they go along, they're blind, they have no idea what's happening, okay? I, I would say most people are above that dirt level. The second The second level is, okay, I can recognize that there's a problem. There's a problem here, and I'm going to voice that problem. Uh, and, and that's actually a big mess. But a lot of people are like that. A lot of people um, feel comfortable, and but also are aware enough to be like, you know, this is an issue. Uh, let's solve it. And then there's a very top, top, top layer that's maybe 1% of the population, at least in my sample size that I've found in my life, that actually will do something about it. And I would like more people to do stuff about things that they see wrong in the world. So if if you think that like practices are practices are disorganized or strategy is lacking, don't just like send a bitchy email to your captains. Like go out and like have initiative and and do something about it and 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 propose like make a rough draft of a practice plan or make a rough draft of of the way we should be communicating or 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 um, you know scouting uh, opponents. Right, doing stuff takes so much more work than figuring and then telling people that things need to work. Right. I know it sounds obvious, but I would love everyone listening to this podcast to actually be doers and not just thinkers. Like I am a prof- by profession, I am a thinker, but I also have to like write and teach. So I am also a doer. 
uh, but a lot of things that I do is think. But I I would love everyone to be like 90% thinkers and 10% 90% doers and 10% thinkers. Wow, I really appreciate that. That's that's very powerful. I think we all love to point out problems and we very rarely give solutions to those problems. So that's a powerful message. Really appreciate you sharing that, Pavel. And you are a doer. And back in just the year before you came to LA, the team went four and eight. But this this past season, your first year on the team, you guys went seven and five and made the playoffs. So there was a pretty substantial turnaround in the team. I'd love to know from you know your internal viewpoint here, what what was kind of the the switch, I guess, this past season that you saw? Uh, Sean McDougall playing with us. I mean, it's just like it's not like like so Sean McDougall. Um, he's a longtime aviator, but played for the Growlers uh, before and uh, you know after COVID. Um, so so him coming back to the aviators was a huge bump uh, to our team. Uh, I mean, looking back at the film, like you know, once you kind of reflect a little bit after the season's over, um, we were. In 2023, we were a pretty bad team. Like, the film was not pretty. Uh, we still did not have a good offensive system. Um, our defense was okay. We had Lucas Ambrose, who was a good individual player. Uh, but besides a couple of lucky wins, uh, we would not have made the playoffs. We might have been, you know, four and eight. <laughs> we, uh, so, I mean, to be honest, like, we were pretty lucky to be in the position that we were in. And then we caught a Colorado team in playoffs that were, you know, they were missing their best player or their best handler in uh, Jonathan Nethercutt. Um, and we were able to win that game too. So it's 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 not really a it's not really a um, a story of full redemption or a full kind of rebuild. I think we're still very much building towards you know being a a good organization, uh, but we're still a ways off of 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 you know kind of implementing and, and kind of proving that that we belong in the you know in the playoff conversation. We're a little we're a couple months out from this next season here, but I'm sure you guys are in the process of planning a lot of teams are doing tryouts right now and i'm sure as part of that leadership organic group there you guys are having conversations of what this upcoming season is so if you look back on 23 and say you know we, we took a step but we're not quite there what is that next step you guys look to take this upcoming summer uh well now we have data right so now we actually have film we have data we know and we have you know most of our guys are coming back so we <laughs> we're not wondering who is you know who's going to play oh who's going to play d for the most part, we have those answers, uh, so we don't have to waste time, you know, kind of putting people in boxes or, or kind of figuring out, figuring out roles. We can really go and, and go to phase two and phase three of offense and phase two and phase three of defense. So we don't have to be as basic um, as, as we were last year. Um, so really, it's, it's, it's improving. It's, it's digesting the data and implementing wrinkles to our system that will help us become a more efficient team. We're the least efficient team offensively and defensively last year um, again the stats are not the, stat, the stats are not pretty uh so so i mean having more efficiency more efficiency and kind of you know you know really in practice one practice two um going over more advanced things uh will be a you know that they'll hopefully help us about a year ago actually to the release of this podcast it will be about a year you have this quote that I came across where you were asked about playing Colorado for the season opener. And I think it's pretty epic and I want to share it here. And it runs, I'm looking forward to becoming the sharpest thorn in their side. They don't know what's coming. I think that's a pretty badass quote. You're just fired up about starting the season. Where do you stand now? Are you, are you pumped about this season or is it a little too far out? You know, what's your mental state right now? I, I, I am always pumped to uh, think about Frisbee. Um, I think... It's very hard. I mean, so now in my going into my seventh year of semi-pro, it's very hard 
to decipher what other teams are going to look like uh, because people I mean, teams are going to announce that they've signed this guy and this guy, but you have no idea what that person's availability is, uh, which is like a huge, huge, huge issue across all of semi-pro, not just the UFA, but understanding, you know, is this team going to be good or bad on paper? It doesn't matter. Like if you go back and, and, and look at the, on paper, what the rosters are of all these teams, it's not always the case that the, that the team who's always the best on paper is the one that's, uh, you know, that's going to win all the games. So um, it's, it's, I mean, a big part of the excitement right now is like seeing who other teams are signing. Uh, but the, the, the wise and old man that is inside of me kind of knows that that is not always going to be, you know, the, the roster that other teams put, put out and also not the roster, the roster that we're going to be putting out once we announce our, our signings. Um, so, so it's, you know, kind of tempering the, those expectations and tempering those, those, that kind of, that kind of competitive fire, um, is, is kind of where I'm at. I like that. Definitely an anticipation, but a controlled anticipation. You guys are, you're in a very strong West division, right? You've, we've already talked a little bit about the shred the you know, where that quote comes from, or I'm sorry, the Colorado summit. And then also you have the shred and then Oakland spiders are right there in the division as well. And like you said, it's, it's kind of hard to know what those teams are going to look like, but Based off last year, you know it's going to be another strong division. It's going to be competitive. But what are your thoughts looking up against some of these matchups in the West Division? Um, very strong, but going into it, I'm sure you guys are going to put up a, a really competitive year. But what are your thoughts on just this, the competitiveness of the West Division? Uh, I think one team that you didn't mention, um, the Seattle Cascades, I think they're going to be very good this year, too. Uh, the, the Cascades have always been a very young team, but they're going to mature at some point and they're They're also going to become more efficient uh, with, with their offense and defense. Um, and they're going to have some big, big, big playmakers this year. Um, so I think the, the Cascades are going to be uh, a sleeper team to watch. Uh, if you were to buy stock right now, you would, you would definitely buy stock in the, in the Cascades or I certainly would. Um, it's still to, to be determined what the what the Portland Nitro are going to do. I'm still, I, you know, there's so many good players that live in Portland, obviously, and you know, play play Rhino Slam, a, a very 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 well established community up there. So you, know, you never know what you're going to get with them uh, in terms of what talent is actually going to come out and want to play for them. And then of course uh, Colorado. Uh, I mean, with Bravo doing as well as they did at semis this club season, you you never know. You know, the the way the club season shakes out always has an impact on next year's UFA teams. Um, so maybe do the Bravo guys think, okay, you know, if we didn't play the summit, we would have, you know, won that semi or we'd have won nationals. If, if some of those guys are think that, then the summit might look worse this year. Uh, you know, you never know. Um, the shred will always look good because the shred from what I could tell, um, don't have a, you know, they don't care too much about club. You know, they can't, uh, they have, don't have an established club scene that competes at nationals every year. Um, so, so they're always going to be good because that is like the main event that they go to. That's the the, the only game in town, so to speak. Uh, so they're always going to be good. Um, you know, Jordan Kerr. I hope that guy moves to LA already. I've been trying for so long to get that guy to move somewhere. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's it's. I mean, another thing that you don't mention is that you know, the Shred and the Summit have such a huge advantage, um, the home field advantage. It is very hard to travel and then play in elevation, um, especially when you're not used to it. Um, so, so I mean, getting a win in Salt Lake or getting a win in Colorado is a very big deal. And those are always the fun games because they always have the best crowds. Um, so, so that's th- those are the two matchups that you kind of always look forward to uh, when when you kind of see the schedule come out. Yeah, a lot of different elements, a lot of exciting things. I'm excited just to watch and see how things will shake up this coming year. And 
honestly just cheering you guys on rooting for the best for for the aviators here and at this point in your career you've you know you've done quite a bit you've played very successfully on the teams that you've been on and you've racked up very large amount of assists to say the least looking way ahead kind of to the end of your career what would you want someone to remember or think about this was what who Pavel was this is what he was or stood by like what would be what you want to remember for I think so I I, I... I think this is the third time someone's asked me this and, and I, so for the 99% of the people that might hear my name or remember my name, I do not, if, if like I've not interacted with, with someone, I do not care what they remember me by. I really only care about what my teammates and people that I've interacted with excessively care about me. Um, so, so like the media, the, 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 the whole legacy thing, I, I give zero thought to that because I would much rather have a one more positive interaction with a teammate or a coach and have them think that like, hey, this guy really helped me with this part of my game, or this guy was like a really good teammate, or this guy was was a good leader. This guy really helped the team in X, Y, and Z, and really I appreciate that about him. That's that's kind of like where I'm at right now. I, I do not care if they like, oh, this guy was throwing assists, this guy was a handler, this guy was this and this like that. For the most part, for 99% of the people that might know my name or remember my name, even one year after I, I'm done playing. Uh, don't, you know, that that does, does not concern me whatsoever. I appreciate that. It's all about what kind of tangible impact can you can you make for those that are right around you. So yeah, I really appreciate that there. And a bit of a fun question here, kind of a change of pace, is you currently wear number 55. Is there any significance or story behind why you wear 55? Yes, and this is not a fun segue, unfortunately. Oh. But yes, this oh no. Is, yeah, so <laughs> so all the um. All the jerseys uh, after 2010 and uh, at the University of Colorado Auburn wear 55, a patch um, in honor of a teammate uh, of ours who was murdered in Denver. Um, so I kind of carried that tradition over. I've always had a 55 on my sleeve, you know, ever since I you know, started, started college. Um, so so I, 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 I kind of wanted to continue that tradition. Wow, that's that's really powerful. I appreciate you sharing that. It goes back to those college days we were talking about earlier. And Pablo, yeah. if you could... If you could give a piece of advice for someone out there who's looking to elevate their elevate their throws, um, what would you share? Get faster, lift more weight. Uh, I mean, you can be a, a good thrower. I mean, you're gonna have like like you're not gonna have a good career uh, after college if you if the only thing you can do is stand still, huck, or have really good you know break throws. Um, you're gonna get clamped up pretty easily by by defenders. Um, if you can't, if you're not agile and you can't move around and you can't use your body and be, be, be fast and quick and get open. Uh, so if you are, if you have any sort of inclination or, or any desire to be a handler, um, you have to be kind of like a very fast twitchy athlete um, and you have to be able to kind of get open in very small spaces. Uh, so maybe stop throwing and start hitting the gym a little bit more. Interesting. I love it. Thank you so much. And Pavel, this kind of brings us to the end of this interview. I just want to open the, open it up though. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Yeah, I'm kind of pissed that I that I'm this 37th episode. You know, I saw you did one with Rowan, you did one with Shrew. Uh, like, what, what took you so long to get to me? I'm just, you know, just so offended that that, uh, <laughs> that I'm the 30 on your list of people. It's like Jesus Christ. Man, man. So oh. <laughs> go, 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 going back to my pretentious and being arrogant. This is this is, this is where it comes out. And this this is what people remember you for too. <laughs> I really hope so. I really hope so. I really hope so. Oh I man, no. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm just glad you said yes when I when I did ask you. <laughs> Definitely. No, I really appreciate your time, Pablo. It's been it's been a treat. It's been an honor just to hear your story and, and to share 
your your journey with this sport and that you've definitely accomplished a lot and you have a lot more to go so really just thank you so much for spending your time here and for sharing everything you have yeah this was fun thanks for having me on definitely thank you so much and as always check out the breakside instagram at breakside underscore podcast and this brings us to the end of episode 37 this is david adamitis with paulo yas thanks for listening have a great night